Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. We're in week two of our Christmas at Covenant series, and uh, one of our elders, Rob Green, started us last week, did a great job unpacking uh, preparation. And we're really sort of slowly working our way through the season and, and kind of attacking the various um, things that you and I do both physically, but in our hearts as well. Uh, what is this season about? What does it bring out of us? And what are we, if we're not careful, what are we prone to miss? Um, and so what he did last week is he challenged you to do one thing every day in preparation for Christmas and the celebration of Jesus's birth. Today, we're going to get uh, deeper into that and we're going to move from preparation to anticipation. And it's a subtle shift. You're like, well, that's sort of the same thing, isn't it? Um, I would say that the shift is sort of practical to more emotional. So I don't know who's hungry in the room. Maybe you're hungry. If, uh, if you were preparing lunch, you're doing something. You're in the kitchen. You're preparing. You're chopping or grilling or sizzling or I don't know what you're doing. You're doing things. If you're anticipating lunch, that's different, isn't it? Preparing lunch, you're doing it. Anticipating lunch is you're sort of swimming in the waftiness of the, the thing that's on its way. And, and you can do both at the same time, which is what we're challenging you to do. But, but as we think through the practical steps of how do I continue to prepare for what's coming, today I want to challenge you on a heart level as how do I prepare for what's coming? How do I begin to anticipate um, Christmas and the depth that it brings to us? Christmas is a season of anticipation. We're anticipating gifts and celebration and family and laughter uh, maybe you are not anticipating those things as excitedly as those around you. Maybe this is, uh, brings anxiety or uh, fear or loneliness. Or maybe there's other things that come with it. What we would say is uh, in Jesus, for those of us in this room, we can anticipate the same good things that the rest of the world is anticipating, but we would do it um, for a different reason. Anticipating Jesus gives meaning to gifts and celebration and family and laughter. And, and I think you have two responses to anticipation. So anticipation is coming. You need to anticipate, and your two responses are there. Are you a how person or a wow person? Two different ideas. How is anticipatory doubt? You're anticipating all the same, but you're expressing anticipatory doubt. We're going to get into that. Wow is expectant joy. And so what we're going to do is really unpack these two concepts using the scripture and then a couple examples of, of you need to diagnose today, are you a how or a wow person? And, and is one of those holding you back from experiencing the fullness that anticipation brings? Years ago, we went to a leadership conference as a church staff, and this phrase was one of the, the talks that was given. Somebody unpacked the idea of how versus wow. Which one are you? They said, if someone brings a big splashy idea uh, into your meeting or into your home or maybe your spouse or maybe your, somebody says, hey, we're going to Mars. What's your first response? How? Not, not many of us would be like, wow, that's cool. Tell me more. Uh, we may make some other phone calls, but it wouldn't be that. I have a friend who thinks he's going to be in space soon. He's like, I will go to space. One of the, and I was like, How? That's not, no, no, you won't. And he's like, no, I just need you to, exp I will go. And I was like, all right, whatever. What, what if I told you I'm opening a Southern fried chicken restaurant downtown? 
First, you better say you'll be there. Second, you may have questions about that. How? You have a job. How are you going to do that? Or you might say, wow, I can't wait to either. Which one are you? The big splashy idea invites two different responses. And you can howl an idea to death. Well, how are you going to afford to go to the moon? Well, how are you going to breathe once you get to Mars? Or how are you going to import these southern spices you claim make your chicken better than everyone else's? How, 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 but how, but how? And by the time you howl someone enough, you howl the idea down to about nothing, and the person leaves disappointed and deflated, and you go, how'd that right out of them? You're, You're expressing your anticipatory doubt. That's cool, but I don't know about that. The other way you can work into it is with wow. You can actually wow an idea into life. Somebody has a a seed of an idea that's something they maybe want to do. I'm thinking of starting my own business. And you go, wow, tell me more. Wow, tell me, okay, where'd this idea come from? Wow, okay. And all of a sudden, that person's idea is growing and flourishing and, and maybe is going to lead to financial ruin. But you wowed them into having the idea. This is expectant joy. See, how asks for immediate payment. It expresses skepticism and suspicion, and you need a detailed explanation that moment. How? Whereas wow costs nothing. Wow implies that dreaming is free. So let the dream breathe, revel in the beauty and the possibility. How is required, don't get me wrong, how is always required, but it can wait. So we're going to start today with Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Rob touched on this briefly last week. We're going to get into it a little bit today. Scripture says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's uh, division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So here's what we see about Zechariah to start. He's clocking in. He's putting in a shift. By all accounts, he's an honorable man, blameless, doing the Lord's commands. He does things the right way. We like this guy. He's doing it right. So we pick it up in verse 11. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. It's been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other from it to drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is big news. So so Zechariah, this righteous man, this religious man, things are now getting real for him. He's going through the motions honorably. And yet, In the midst of him doing his thing, going through the motions, an angel shows up. And the angel says, your wife, who is too old for pregnancy, is going to have a baby. 
You'll name him John, and oh yeah, by the way, he's a forerunner of the Messiah. Hearing this would be wild to begin with. The Messiah is coming, and your son is going to prepare the way. The one we've been waiting for for 500 years is coming, and you're going to produce the one to make the path for him. But the Bible does say Zechariah and Elizabeth are, quote, very old. How old are they, is the question people would ask. We have some evidence as to how old they are because priests um, were only able to offer incense by custom. They were only able to offer incense between the ages of 25 and 50. So very old. Now, some of you are like, man, I was hoping they were like 90 because if they're very old and I'm older than them, what does that make me? I didn't ask it. You asked it. That's not my fault. Odds are pretty good that Zechariah and Elizabeth were in their uh, mid to late 40s, if we do the math, and we start going, well, how old were they? Now, to some of us modern people, that doesn't sound like much, but consider that Mary, as we look at the story of the birth of Jesus this month, Mary could have been 14, 15. Good estimates are she was a, a teenager. And so if you're going to start around that age and, and go forward, then if you're 45, you're 30 years into your childbearing years and you've been barren for 30 years, the ship has sailed, right? You're pretty much convinced this is not happening. I've been, been trying 30 years in, we're too old for this. It's not going to happen. So Zechariah hears the news, he's gripped with fear. You can almost get the sense in his reaction to the angel of going, look, I'm just trying to burn the incense here. I'm doing my job. You're showing up saying some weird things. So what's his response? Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. What we recognize here is anticipatory doubt has entered the room. A little bit of jaded skepticism, basically a yeah, but answer to the angel of God. Yeah, but let me explain why that's probably not going to happen. You can hear the tone of the immediate how. The angel shows up clear as day and Zechariah's response is, yeah, but how? So, so what we need to do as we observe that is do a little diagnostic work in the room. Are you a yeah, but kind of person? Now, you don't want to admit this. I was faced with this myself when I saw the how versus why. I said, well, that's cute. and We should do that. And a few weeks later, one of the elders in, in our elder meeting had a great idea. And I said, well, how are we going to do that? And he goes, you're a how person? And I went, ugh. I mean, what I meant to say is, wow, that's great. But seriously, how do you think we're going to do that? Um, not many of us want to identify as being a scroogey, jaded, doubt first person. So what I'm going to invite you to do in the, in the season to come, and we'll do it here in a minute, I'm going to invite you, um, you know what your favorite Christmas movies are. Everybody's got one. Everybody has an opinion. Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. We'll get to that later. Um, it's just not, guys. The question is, which Christmas movie character are you? Like when you watch a Christmas movie, which character do you identify with? If you're not sure who you are in any given movie, you need to ask your friends and family to help you identify with a Christmas movie character. If you identify with Mr. Shirley, that's Clark Griswold's boss there at the bottom, Uncle Frank, or Elf's biological father, it's possible if these are the people you kind of feel a little kinship with, it's possible you are suffering from anticipatory doubt. 
actually have a favorite while we're on the topic of movies. I have a favorite director, and it's a strange choice, but this is my favorite director. His name is Werner Herzog. He's a little bit of a skeptic himself. Um, as we've been talking about cynical optimism, he's as cynical as they come. He was filming a movie in the jungle, and this is his quote about just what was going on around him. He said, the trees are in misery. He says it in a different accent. The birds are in misery. I don't think they sing, they just screech in pain. And I was like, that's about the darkest thing I've ever heard. We, we hear birds and we're like, birds, isn't this beautiful? The birds are singing. He goes, they don't sing, they just screech in pain. And I thought, I like this guy. I, I can get into this guy. So I was thinking about, as, as I thought about these doubting Christmas people and I thought then about Werner Herzog, I said, Santa is a mystery, you know. The elves are a misery. They don't sing carols, but they just screech in pain. And I thought, this is my guy. So if I could put a Santa hat on it, I don't know. Okay, that was for me, not for you. So what did doubting cost Zechariah is the, is the question. What does doubting cost him? What does doubting cost you? Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. As a result of his unwillingness to uh, engage in the expectant joy of the promise given, he's been silenced. No anticipation, no participation. The Christmas season is unique in our faith. If you fail to practice anticipation, you're going to fail to receive the full experience of the participation. The season is a season for a, a reason, and I don't say that to be cute. It's, there's a reason that we have a run-up to it. There's a reason we spend weeks on it here. We are cultivating anticipation because in the anticipation of the day to come, we then get to participate in the fullness of the season. You can't just snap your fingers at 3.30 or 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve and go... Okay, candlelight, now I'm in the season. Jesus, I'm here for you. There's the joy I've been waiting for. I stressed out for a month, fought that guy in Target for that toy I was trying to, you know, but I feel better. Everything's great. Christmas Eve, we're all here. Doesn't work like that. Too many distractions, too much stress. We've all been there. We've all been to the place where the Christmas season is ending and we've sort of felt like we missed it. Like you're putting away the decorations, and maybe you didn't actually have the thought, but somewhere in you, you knew. You never really pondered the mystery of it this year. You never really sat in the beauty. You never really were awed by the majesty. You just went through the motions. It's like the best soup you've ever had. That's what you were thinking about, soup. What's, just, just shout out. I just want to, what's the best soup you've ever had? I just want to hear a few of them. Soup. I'll wait. Squash, taco soup? That's not a soup. That's, you eat that in tortilla. Others? Chili, potato? Vegetable soup? Okay. None of these are as exciting as I was. I was really hoping to like get something. My family's favorite soup is sweet potato jalapeno. Why are you judging me? It's theirs. You know, they like it. I... All right. I cheated a little bit. Here's mine. Um, this on the left is Vivian Howard. She's a chef in North Carolina. On the right is, uh, she would, it's called a bog. So it's sort of like a Southern soup, but it's not really, it's kind of a soupy, I don't know. Anyway, I cheated. It, that's my favorite. It's uh, chicken and rice. Looks pretty simple, but it takes forever to make. 
You start with a whole chicken, a whole young chicken. Can't be an old chicken. I don't know why, but she says it has to be young. So you get a young hen, you buy the whole chicken from the store and you get a pot of water and you put the chicken in the pot and you put a top on it and you just boil it for like six weeks or an hour and a half, two hours. You boil it, you boil it, you boil it. The older the chicken, the longer you boil it, but you boil the chicken. At which point you then take the chicken as it's, you know, it's all falling apart and you take that out of the pot, which now has this lovely broth, and you have to debone and get all the meat away from the bones. You set the bones aside. You don't need those anymore. You put the chicken back in the pot, at which point you boil it for another month or two. You put it back in there. You just let it go for a while. And now you just have the most chickeny, chickeny, chicken smelling chickenness you've ever had in your life. And it's just in this pot now. So you have this big thing of chicken. You add your salt, your pepper. You could make this with five total ingredients. Then thinking that can't be that delicious, just wait. Then you take a bunch of rice and you throw the rice in there. Guess what you're going to do? Boil it. That's right. You boil it until, she says, until the rice um, opens up, which means splits, and it releases all of its starchy goodness. And then you have this starchy, chickeny, salty, peppery, and she would add a little lemon. We don't do that in my house. A little butter is good. And you end up with this thing on the right that is about the most comforting comfort food on earth. It's delicious. Now, what I could do, come on, you're saying what you're thinking. That's what I'm going to tell you. Now, I could take all the things I just told you, but I could take a chicken and I could take some water and I could take a little bit of butter, salt and pepper. I could do those things. I could put them in their microwave for a few minutes. I could put them in there, get them warm and then put them in a bowl together. Does it sound the same? No, actually, I don't think I would eat that. I don't think that would work at all. I could take all the same things and microwave them and make them. I could even try to like get them all to some level of preparation that's somewhat similar to what it took all day to make, and it wouldn't be the same. Your favorite soup, you could take it and put it in the microwave, or you could make it in the pot on the stove or the crock pot or however you make You could do it in the microwave, and it wouldn't be the same. There's something about the time it spends simmering on the stove that makes it what it is. The smelling... And anticipation is part of the process, I would say. Part of the process of getting to deliciousness is the anticipation of getting to deliciousness. You can't microwave Christmas. The preparation is practical and necessary, and that leads to the anticipation, which is the heart of joy. For Zechariah, God gave him the gift of silence. God, uh, we look at it, we go, we punished him with silence. That was his consequence. And sometimes the consequence is a gift, right, kids? So, So he gave them the gift of silence. And so what did he force Zechariah to do as a result of his anticipatory doubt? He gave him the gift of anticipation. He said, guess what? You're gonna now have to sit and wait for this child to be born and you got nothing to say about it for months. The opposite of anticipatory doubt, since that's where we're trying to get together, is expectant joy. Hopeful, filled with wonder, wow, you're wow people. In the Christmas movie, you identify with a different set of characters, don't you? I'll let you think about it. Kevin, you get, he's excited, I made my family disappear, and you get Elf, congratulations, best cup of coffee, great. Cousin Eddie? Cousin Eddie counts because Cousin Eddie seems oblivious to all things negative. He's just happy to be there. And maybe that's you. Maybe you feel the expectant joy of the season. Maybe you started decorating in August. 
Maybe you're currently praying for snow. Maybe you cannot wait for your weird cousins and conspiratory uncle to show up so you can be salt and light in the room. You are expectant joy people. This is actually the posture of Mary, which is different than the posture of Zechariah. Both get a visit. We're going to see the stories are pretty similar, but we have different responses. And they're going to look the same, but we're going to see that they're different. Luke one twenty six. we start there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zechariah's wife, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And her response in verse 34 is, how? Different sort of how. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. So you might be thinking, they both asked how. You made a big deal about the first how, and this one you acted like it was a different sort of how. What's the difference? John Calvin made the point that there's an unquestionable difference in Zechariah. God beheld him something far worse than his words. There was obviously something else at play that God had one response to Zechariah and another to Mary. Here's my uh, suspicion. My suspicion is that Zechariah was suspicious. My guess is as you read through the stories and you see the response of the Most High, you see that one was suspicious and I think Mary was curious. One was suspicious how and Mary was more of a wow with a question attached. See, in the message version, Zechariah is asking for a sign in his doubt. Verse uh, 18 again, Zechariah said to the angel, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. That's not wow. He's saying, how will I know? Prove it, Lord. Mary is uh, perhaps accepting, but logically confused. We look at her response in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. Which is a very different sort of question, like, okay, I will receive this, but I'm confused as to the physical reality of how this might work. Like, the physics escape me here. Zechariah says, how? I think Mary says, wow. She's, she's accepting of the reality to the point that she doesn't continue to argue. She goes, well, then may the word be fulfilled in me. Wow. I don't understand how, but wow. What is the result? Zechariah is rendered mute for months and pushed to the sidelines while his wife carries this incredible spark, start of the Savior's story. Mary is expectant in joy. She has great joy, fullness of anticipation. What we see in the scripture is then she goes and spends months at Elizabeth's house. They go to celebrate together their joint pregnancies, their miracles that God has brought to them. There's an excitement that comes. They're bathing in the shared miraculous joy. And we venerate Mary in a Christian tradition because she was a worthy vessel, because she prepared her heart, because she was anticipating the expectant joy of the arrival of the son. 
We don't talk about Zechariah every year for a reason. He's the, the, the warning is if you want to walk into the season with anticipatory doubt, this is how you're going to experience it. As opposed to Mary, if you come in with a curious excitement, God is going to fan the flames of all that's happening around you. And when the contractions came, when the time drew near, there was an animal stall in Bethlehem and she delivered the Messiah. The shepherds came to see and the scripture said she treasured these things in her heart. One of the most comforting, warming parts of scripture for us is we see that, that this young girl has birthed the Savior and the shepherds come and she treasures these things in her heart as if the, not only the, the gift of being able to give birth, the gift of birthing the Savior, but then there's something even greater that somehow this formula we can't quite nail down, but the anticipation and the expectant joy leads to this moment of absolute perfection for her where she treasures these things in her heart. It's the thing we wish, I think, when we read the Christmas story, it's the thing we wish we could do as the season comes to a close. Like the journey is over and the baby is here and, and she's putting up the Christmas decorations and she's putting it back in the basement and she's packing those bins up and she's, she's done. And she treasured the things in her heart. And you and I get to the end of the season and the question is, do we get to the end of the season? Do we get to all the parties and we watch the shows and we did the recitals and we visited the grandparents or whatever it is you do and you're packing up the boxes and you're taking stuff down do you treasure the things in your heart? And I think the, the reason she's able to treasure is because she went through the season with anticipatory expectant joy. Doesn't mean she didn't have a doubt. Doesn't mean she didn't worry. It doesn't mean she didn't stress or deal with distractions. It means that she chose belief and expectancy as her central thread, as her heart posture in a season. She chose them as her heart posture. So it's December. I was at a work Christmas party for my wife yesterday. I walked up to somebody I knew and I said, How, how's your December going? And his response was, it's December? I was like, oh boy. So why do you ask? And he goes, oh, I haven't bought anything yet. And in real time, immediately, in my presence, began stressing about everything that was coming. I was like, well, at least you got the Christmas party checked off the list, right? And he's like, oh, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he, she just, I was like, I'm going to just walk away from this one. <laughs> Have a nice day. Um, my bad. The question is, how are you feeling now that Christmas is right around the corner? Are you just trying to get through the season? Are you going to have the idea that I'm just glad I survived another year? Is that your plan? Or... Is this the year you'd like to truly treasure the season in your heart? You get to decide today, I'm giving you this why we're doing this today and not in three weeks when it's Christmas Eve, and guess what? Today, you get to decide if you'll be practicing anticipatory doubt, a little jaded, a lot of how, how am I going to get this done? How are we going to get that bought? How are we going to get this here? How, how, how? Waiting for the wheels to come off ahead of the holiday season, dreading the days ahead, thinking about the death that's coming, whatever. For you, if you're a how person, if you've honestly identified, you know what, I think I may be a little bit more of a how than a wow. If I'm honest, if I'm honest my, my heart's a little more skeptical than it is hopeful in the season. That's me. Perhaps silence is your prescription. 
Zechariah, the prescription for him, the gift to him was silence. In his silence, he had to sit and recognize what was actually happening. Perhaps your prescription is silence and the busyness. Maybe you carve out some time for silence and you, you can literally simply prayerfully ask God to restore the wow that you desire. God, I don't feel it. It's okay to be honest. That's what prayer is. It's honest. It's okay to say, God, I don't feel the wow. I don't feel excited. I don't feel the joy. This season's not for me. Can you restore some of that? God is faithful. But maybe you, like Mary, have expectancy. Maybe you have joy and you're coming in with it. So the question becomes like a good soup. What do you do to let that simmer? What do you do to to let that grow? How do you spread your joy? How do you spread your expectancy? How do you share that with others? And maybe that's a a simple gesture to neighbors. Maybe that's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to prescribe it. I want to let you figure it out. I don't want to create little concrete things. You go, I guess I'll do that. How do you share the expectant joy of the season? Because the choice is yours. You can sit and how, get through another year, do it again. It'll be January before you know it and you won't have to deal with any of this. Or you can sit with wow and fan the flame of what God is doing, not only in your life, but then reflect on what he has done in history to make a way for you, to make a path for you, to make grace for you. And as you fan the flame of what the season represents, you begin to find a growing expectancy and a growing joy and a growing anticipatory just awe of the season. And if you can find yourself in that place, how would you share that with those you love? You can choose to be Uncle Frank or Elf. You can choose to be jaded or joyful. My prayer is that for each of us, we might cultivate anticipation this year to see what our, our hearts might treasure anew in the season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each and every one of us, if uh, we're honest, there are moments in this season that are difficult. There are moments in the season that... Uh, create challenges for us. Lord, uh, in the busyness, the hectic shopping and uh, travel, Lord, and parties and uh, the expectations we don't necessarily look forward to. Father, I pray you would slow us down and give us a little bit of silence. Lord, help us to find uh, moments with you, moments of of joyful expectancy. Lord, our prayer is that we might set our hearts upon you and the reality of what the season represents. And in doing so, Lord, that you might grow within us our appreciation for the way you've made for us. So Father, I pray that each and every one of us might uh, see ourselves honestly this morning and begin to make a plan to grow not only our preparation, but our anticipation of your son and the arrival and what it means for all of mankind. So Father, we love you. We lift this up in your son's precious name. Amen.